Welcome to Watershed's November podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. And this month I'm joined by Sven de Hunt, who is a film blogger. Um, Sven also programmes um, for the Bath Film Festival, which is coming up in November. And also some of you may well have met Sven in your visits to Watershed as Sven works at box office here at Watershed and also ushers. Sven is generally immersed in film and cinema and this month we're going to talk about two major festivals that have just happened which is Toronto and London and look at, um, have a discussion about uh, some of the films that excited us, um, some of the films that will hopefully excite you and some films that coming up to Watershed in the next few months. So welcome Sven. Thank you. Uh, what, what struck me um, this year broadly about um, Toronto in particular is in the summer this year, for me, it was very quiet cinema-wise for independent art house films. Whereas previous year was really busy. We had Amy um, in 45 years, which bracketed the summer, but lots of films did really well. As I say, in the foreign language, independent world. This summer, uh, things were a lot quieter and I was beginning to get worried <laughs> that all those naysayers out there who say that you know, cinema's dead, it's just the commercial Hollywood game now, that I thought maybe they're right. Maybe what we are seeing here is a kind of complete decline in cinema for uh, independent and world. And then I went to Toronto and the first film I saw was Kenneth Lonegren's Manchester by the Sea and I was just blown away by it. And that set the bar, started the festival off. 35 or so films later, I thought to myself, what's the problem? These are, <laughs> there's such a fantastic range of films that are around that are perfect for watershed, perfect for independent cinemas. Was that, was that similar? Did you have that experience? Yeah, well, I think you have two completely different narratives. Of course, in the summer you have the blockbuster narrative and the multiplexes are really busy and it's always a, a quieter season for the independent cinemas. Um, but then Toronto comes along and Toronto is sort of like, one, it's a launching pad for the so-called Oscar films. So a lot of films are trying to find their place within the market and the Toronto Film Festival is the festival that pushes these films. But it's also a film festival that shows a completely different size of cinema. And all those naysayers are saying, oh yeah, cinema is dead or there's nothing really interesting that's happening. Well, they should go to Toronto or London because there's so much interesting stuff happening. And I was quite surprised by the sheer size of a film festival like Toronto. 300 films are playing and there's so much quality out there. And I think the state of cinema is top-notch for the moment and I think Toronto has really proven that. Um, especially a film like Manchester by the Sea which we touched upon, which is pr was probably my favourite film of the festival. Mm. So let's, let's talk about some of the titles then. What, what, we mentioned Manchester by the Sea, Kenneth Lonergan, which comes out in January. Um, interestingly, it was shown at Sundance in, in, uh, earlier this year in January um, and I'd been tracking it uh, since then and then its next sort of major platform was um, Toronto. Similarly with Birth of a Nation, which um, we'll come on to later in the podcast. But what, what titles in particular stood out for you um, yeah, so this is a film that everyone will be talking about and everyone was talking about it. That was La La Land. This is Damien Chazelle's musical, his follow-up to Whiplash that mm -hmm. he made last year or two years ago. And this is 
I think, vital cinema. It's a shot of feel-good in the vein of cinema, which is something that we all really need in these perilous times. Mm. Um, yeah, it's such a clever, beautiful film. And it's a homage to all these old musicals that we know from Jacques Demy or even things like Singing in the Rain. But it's really pushing it forward. It also feels really modern mm. um, and fresh. And mm. it's also just beautiful, beautiful to look at. Yeah. This is a film that comes out, I think, in January. And it will do really well. Well, I, when I saw it, um, it made me think of the experience that people must have had in the 50s in America. You know, still coming off of that post-war period. I'm sure austerity was still it was still happening um, post-war there, and you can imagine somebody saying early fifties, there's this new film out, let's go and see it, and you know that film is as you said singing in the rain, or bandwagon when Vin Manelli's bandwagon, and you you sort of it made you, it made me imagine what it must have been like to experience those films for the first time, because you know I went in knowing only that it was his, his next film after Whiplash, and it. I'm not a huge fan of musicals, and it just absolutely transported me and, and blew me away. And it's a film which is fundamentally in love with cinema. It is, yeah. It, and what I really liked about it is everyone came out of that cinema singing and dancing the team, yeah. the team tunes and stuff. Yeah, so it's it's an homage to Technicolor as well. But it's, as I said, it feel re feels really, really fresh in what it's trying to do. And you think you know the narrative of how musicals look like, but it really turns it around on its head. And that's something really interesting. And another film that's a genre-wise was, um, for me, a different genre is Arrival, uh, Denis Villeneuve's um, new film, which is a sci-fi. Um, but if you imagine sci-fi in, in, in a Star Wars style of sci-fi, it, it's just not in that territory at all. It's it's a much more cerebral um, film, which um, I thought was uh, quite extraordinary in the way that it played with ideas of time and past and, and future within the sci-fi genre. So it just felt as though that that, that genre was being re sort of re-energized in some way. Yeah, I think Arrival, what what it's doing, it's a really interesting film in that way. It's a big budget film. It's Play, it's going to play for a really big audience, but it's taking all these really smart cerebral concepts and mm. ideas and it's exploring all these interesting notions. It starts off as the idea, the premise of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind or Independence Day, and it has a little bit of that, but it's doing a lot more. It's a very intelligent piece of filmmaking mm. um, and it's something, a film that we all need right now, I think. Yeah. In a way, um, it's, it does take off where Close Encounters almost ends, as it were, because it is about the communication with with aliens, but actually it's communication with ourselves probably <laughs> as much. And as you say, given the uh, the sort of geopolitics of the moment, it it does have a very much of a message about now. Yeah, it's it's a metaphor of the times we live in, I think. Mm. Um, but it's it's quite subtle. It's not too on the nose. Mm. I think it was a beautiful film, also mm. with some really good performances at the mm. centre of it. Mm. Um, and yeah, director Dennis Villeneuve, he's going to do the next Blade Runner. Mm. Um, so I think that film is in good hands. Mm. And and that's coming up in November, um, actually quite soon. But another one that's coming up soon that was on um, in Toronto was Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals which I, when I started out, and Tom Ford, of course, is the, is the designer, uh, known for his um, clothes, fashion, 
um, design stuff, but he's also made a feature film, Single Man, and this is his second feature, uh, Nocturnal Animals. And when it when I when it started, I thought, ah, oh, this is this is very much Emperor's New Clothes. You know, it's very it's speaking about its the the fashion industry, the the art industry, the art world. But then it became one of the sort of most gripping sort of film noirs. Yeah, it's. Um, it's a film that's really, really in love with itself and its own aesthetic. Mm. But I think underneath that, there's so, so much more. It's, it's a film that's really rich in substance. Yeah, the main character, also played by Amy Adams, um, she is um, a gallery owner. And basically, I think it's quite easy to see parallels between Amy Adams and Tom Ford. Tom Ford has made a film about hyperesthetics, which is a thing he really knows, knows best. I think he did a really good job in bringing his story across. Um, I think it's a really interesting film, as long as you don't take it all too serious. Sometimes it's, it's playing on a really thin border between self-serious and really, really silly. Um, and it constantly balanced on that line. I, I think it, it, it really holds the line brilliantly. And I think that's really exemplified by uh, Michael Shannon's uh, role in it. I mean, it's, it's, you, you, you're... Amy Adams is immersed into a fictional world because she gets a story that her ex-lover has has written a novel, and she's reading it, and you get flat. You go, you go into that narrative um, in the film, and that's a kind of film noir sort of feel to it. Michael Shannon is the detective, and he brilliantly holds that line between parody and seriousness. And he he reminded me of Robert Mitchum, and I kind of think that he's. He's got that potential to be the sort of Robert Mitchum because Mitchum's always has that hard edge, but a kind of humour, an a, an angle to him that was that was quite humorous, but it was also very dark. So from starting off of thinking, oh, this is this is a film that's too in love with itself, I, I by the end of it, I thought it was one of the kind of um, really fine piece of filmmaking. Yeah. Very, very engaging. It's a film that's juggling all these different tones and textures, but I think mm. it's doing it really well. I think it's mm. a really interesting, startling film. Mm. And we are screening Nocturnal Animals here uh, when it opens on the 4th of November and looking to do arrival actually um, after its UK release probably in, in December. I mentioned Birth of a Nation earlier, and Birth of a Nation was one of these um, titles that, again, was a big buzz sensation at Sundance Film Festival. It was um, bought for 17 million by Fox. I mean, a huge amount of money. The highest purchase in the history of Sundance. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, a, a huge amount of money. And it tells the story of a slave, Nate Turner, who was a true story, uh, who started, uh, it was the first and only slave revolution and it's a very powerful story, and, it, and it, it follows on Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave and beginning to tell the narratives of um, the slave trade from a black, black perspective. Uh, and also, um, it reinverts, or inverts rather, it inverts and challenges D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, which was, um, you, know, you know, racist in terms of its presentation of that that historic moment in time and when the film was made. So a very powerful and very important film which uh, got huge acclaim at Sundance and felt as though it was going to do, you know, follow on 12 Years a Slave in terms of awards and in terms of impact. But then what happened was the, the, the personal story of the director um, and accusations of 
sexual assault uh, happened in the film is, 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 so it's difficult to see the film now without that background to it, which made the film hugely, has made the film hugely controversial. So when it was screened in Toronto, the, the, the press was more about the real life case um, that happened to the director uh, than it was about the film. Did you see the film? Well, I haven't seen the film, but I think that is unfortunate because it's a really interesting story that really needs to be told. And last year, um, there was this whole Oscar so white controversy, mm. and then there was also Black Lives Matter. And I think this year, it seems it might be a coincidence or it might just be a product of our times. But it seems the film industry has really picked up on that because there were so many films about black identity playing at the Toronto and the London Film Festival. And there was Birth of a Nation. Um, and then I think the most important film that we've both seen at the Toronto Film Festival was Moonlight, mm -hmm. um, which is a film about black identity uh, chronicled through 30 years. And it tells a story of a, a young black gay man in Miami. Mm -hmm. And it, it tells the story as a child, as a teenager and as an, as an adult. And I think it's a beautiful, heartbreakingly beautiful film mm -hmm. about race, about identity, about class. Mm. I, I think, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight was a um, major discovery of um, the festival this year. Um, and it, you know, it's gone on to other uh, festivals and it's just opened in America on a very small release, but has got some of the biggest screen admissions and um, box office. And I think it is a really powerful, as you say, presentation of black identity. What Nat Parker's Birth of a Nation aspires towards in terms of re-challenging uh, and representing um, uh, black on screen representations and, and histories from a black perspective to a wider audience. I, I think Barry Jenkins achieves that absolutely brilliantly. Um, there are some images and some scenes and some representations in the film that I, I, I do think are quite extraordinary in the way that they um, challenge you as a viewer's um, image of, you, you know, uh, black urban street culture. Um, you know, those, those stereotypes, what those images have become stereotyped, he completely represents in a way that is um, poetic and quite, quite, quite extraordinary. My problem going back to Birth of a Nation is that putting the, the director's personal um, circumstances to one side, I, I found it like, um, I described it as uh, like Braveheart meets 12 Years a Slave. So it, it, becomes, it becomes a kind of Mel Gibson's presentation of history as, it, as he did in, in Braveheart. And that for me was a real flaw in Birth of a Nation because he did set up the real seriousness of the, uh, the issue as Steve McQueen has done brilliantly in 12 Years a Slave, but it becomes really self-absorbed into this one figure. And of course that one figure is then the director because he plays the part. Um, so, so it became this kind of pompous uh, narrative, really, where he on screen is the leader of this revolution and it's the, you know, it's the director as well. So real life becomes confused. But then of course that real life is tied into his real life. And so therefore the moral high ground is completely lost and, and you, in, in the same way that in, in some ways in which Mel Gibson's own personal scandals kind of came up to say, well, look, this guy, this image that's being presented on screen isn't the same as that. Whereas with Moonlight, you know, what you get, I feel, is this very much this honesty and exploration of black 
um, gay identity, which, as I said, is quite extraordinary. Yeah, what I like about it, it's very, very subtle and understated. Mm. And although it is a film about black identity in 1980s Miami, which is quite specific, the film feels really universal and it feels a film that, I, I don't think that that film could have been better timed. It comes at the right time, yeah. uh, right now when we're all questioning um, yeah, black identity. Um, and that is, I think, it's a product of our times, that film. Yeah. Um, but it puts forward really um, nuanced, positive uh, images that are much more, they've got much more texture than, um, as I say, for me, in Birth of a Nation. And I think if Birth of a Nation's, for me, reference point is, or, or comparison, as it were, is Braveheart, then I, I thought it was interesting to find out that Barry Jenkins, um, big influence on Barry Jenkins for Moonlight was Hu Shui Shuen's um, Three Times, which is, of course, the story's three times in, in Moonlight. He, um, um, Hu Shui Shuen does this three times. Very lyrical, um, dreamy sort of quality to his, um, his work. And that comes across in this American film. And he has also stated Claire Denis as one of his influences. Mm. Although I do think it feels has his own work and a very unique film, probably the most unique film, original film mm. I've seen in a long time. But I know an another um, a film that you were really um, enthusiastic about is Jackie. Um, yeah, so this is uh, Pablo Lorraine's, I don't really want to use the word biopic, because whenever we use the word biopic, we, we do think of films like um, that Diana film with Naomi Watts, or Grace, Grace of film. Monaco with Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah. And this film could have easily become such such a film, because mm -hmm. it, it handles uh, an important time in history, and it handles an iconic character. But I think what the good thing is about Jackie is it's directed by Pablo Lorraine, who's a really good Chilean director, who directed No with Gael Garcia Bernal. He did direct The Club a couple of years ago. Um, and he's an outsider. He's, he's from Chile. So I think it's really interesting to let him tell um, the story of American history. So Jackie tells the story of uh, Jackie Kennedy in the wake of John F. Kennedy's murder. Um, and how she's dealing with the politics. But it's also an interesting study of grief and how she's dealing with that. And it's, it's yeah, a beautiful mm. film. Mm. It, it, it's extraordinary because it manages to be very intimate about her grief, it, 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 surrounded by you know this, uh, the, the White House and the politics and politicians and everything that's going on. It's very intimate about her um, and personal about her grief, but yet you feel it's about the historical moment as well. Um, it's it, the whole of sort of history is in there in that moment in the 60s when there was a kind of optimism and progressiveness around the Kennedy idea. Um, and she, some, she embodies that. So she's also dealing with that as well. Yeah, so I think of Jackie as a kaleidoscope yeah. that brings it all together in this one character, but it handles it really well. I think there's a really good balance between something that's really small and intimate and personal and the geopolitics of the situation. Mm. And I think Pablo Lorraine is doing a, an astonishing job. Mm. Um, also, the soundtrack by Mika well, Levy. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Um, yeah. Mika Levy, she did the yeah. soundtrack a couple of years ago for Under the Skin, and now she does a soundtrack for Jackie. And I think it fits the material really well. Yeah. No, I completely agree. When I started um, uh, watching Jackie, I mean, I hadn't, uh, I'd only known the subject matter um, and the director. Uh, and when the music came in, I thought, oh, that's great music. Um, just really uh, hit me. 
And of course, then the credits go up and I see it's Mika Levy that's done it. And as you say, she did that phenomenal score to Under the Skin. But, but at the time of um, un, Under the Skin, because she was at Watershed and you know, I did an interview with her, I and mean, I said to her, what, you know, what next film would you want to do? Were you thinking about? And I got the sense from, I was just like, no, I don't want to do any more films. It's too, you know, because she wants to make a music, working with other people's visions and stuff. I just got the sense, you know, no, no, I don't want to do any more. Um, so it's absolutely brilliant to see her, her name up there in the score because you see, it sets up this um, dissonance that the film's going to be about. Yeah, it's um, quite haunting and ethereal, yeah. and that works really well yeah. with this film and this yeah. subject matter. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sven, um, for uh, running through those forthcoming titles. Lots of them are going to be coming up over the next um, few months, uh, and we'll be screening them at Watershed. As I said, Nocturnal Animals is coming up on the 4th of November, La La Land in January. Keep looking at the Watershed uh, website and hopefully you'll be as thrilled by some of these films as we were. That's all for this month.